Well, I hope you guys have some moments like that in the next 24 to 48 hours, and uh, look forward to that. You guys all look great today. Merry Christmas. Uh, we look forward to seeing you guys tomorrow at 3 or 4.30. Let me remind you also that we usually like to take up a special offering at Christmas Eve that uh, goes outside the walls somewhere. And so this year, uh, we are giving, again, to the Chautauqua Church in El Salvador. And when I saw Pastor Rumi, he, he said, we need chairs. We're growing. And they are. They have a lot more kids than we expected. And they have a lot more adults than we expected. And so they don't have a place to sit. And so we're going to help provide chairs for them this year and also musical instruments so that they can uh, actually have a worship set there uh, that's uh, beyond just the singing and the tambourine. And so we're going to provide that. And also we're going to begin to fund Reuben and Regina's house that we're going to build right there on site. The cost for that house is 8500 bucks. Can you imagine building a house for 8500 bucks? And uh, so we're going to do that. This uh, We're hopefully going to begin that. Maybe we'll even reach that goal. I don't know. Uh, but we'll do that uh, tomorrow at our Christmas Eve worship. It is a candlelight service uh, where we have a lot of worship, a lot of time together. There will be preschool and nursery uh, programming for your children. So feel free to bring uh, them and, and drop them off. Come early. Uh, because uh, there will be, especially at the early service, I think it'll be more crowded that service. Some of you may want to wait till 4.30 because I think there'll be a little bit more room in that hour, but we'll see what happens. Uh, but we look forward to seeing you guys uh, tomorrow as well. Uh, we have all been shopping and preparing for Christmas. Yesterday is the first day that I went out and actually went shopping. Prior to this, first of all, Lisa's done most of our shopping, and most of it has been done online, right? Thank goodness for Amazon, okay? We have packages showing up every day. Hey, man, just give it up for Amazon. It's great. Just, you know, whatever. But, uh, but so, so it's really a cool thing, and I can see why we went to Amazon after being there yesterday. Uh, went into a, went, on, went into, well, I won't say what store, actually, I was about to blow it. Anyway, but um, anyway, so we go into all these stores, and we fight with people. It's like, oh, you know, you got to get these long lines, take so long. And uh, traffic is, is worse, and so I'm looking forward to that being over. But what we're shopping for is what we might consider the perfect gift, you know. And we all have our different ideas about what would it be, what would be the perfect gift, what would be the quality of a perfect gift for someone. But I really think that a perfect gift goes beyond what we want and goes to our needs. I think a perfect gift is one that isn't fleeting. It's long-lasting. It's something that won't be here today and gone tomorrow. I think a perfect gift is given with the, the receiver in mind. It's given with not benefit to those who are giving it, but to those who receive it. And, and you guys know, sometimes we give with ulterior motives. Some of you guys this year, you're going to buy your wife a nice tool. You'll be like, this is awesome, babe. You're going to love this thing. It's great. You won't be able to do without it. I don't, I don't know. Last year, I, did, I broke a cardinal sin. <laughs> I, br- I, brought, I bought my wife a vacuum for Christmas. I know, I know, I know, I know. Don't judge me. Um, but it was a, uh, it was, it was like a, you know, it was like a roaming vacuum on its own thing, right? I thought this would save her time. I'm like, look, just put the dog in that thing, let it ride around. I mean, what's not to love about this gift? And uh, I thought it would save time, but I'll try to do better this year. I don't, I don't know. But well, that wasn't the perfect gift. But I, I really believe that Jesus Christ is the perfect gift. He fulfilled what we needed. It was an everlasting gift. Uh, it was not a direct benefit to him. It was a direct benefit to us. God did not begin benefit by becoming a man, leaving heaven. God did not benefit from the cross, but we benefited, and God gave to us the perfect gift of Christ. And this will be our last sermon in this series called The Perfect Christmas, and Galatians chapter 4 is our text. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive full rights as sons. And what I want to do today is teach you three basic doctrines. This whole message series has been a lot about doctrinal truths. 
things that we believe as followers of Christ. And the first one is, very important you understand, Jesus was perfect in deity. Galatians 4.4, when the time had fully come, God sent his son. Many years ago, Life magazine had a cover article, Jesus, a, a, a picture of Jesus or a painting of Jesus was on the front. And a caption read, who, is, who was he? Solving the mystery of Jesus and why it matters today. Amazingly enough, over 2,000 years later, we are still thinking about his birth. The world is still intrigued by Jesus Christ. Who was he? And the way we answer that question will really determine our eternal destiny. John 3.36 John 3, said, Whosoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whosoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. In this article, there were quotations from 15 different scholars or theologians about who Jesus was. One of them said that Jesus was God descending to save a rebel race. That's a pretty good answer. Another one said, there's no such thing as a person in history of the world as Jesus Christ. The Bible is fictional, non-historical narrative, but the myth is good for business. Now, that's a pretty vivid denial considering all the biblical and historical evidence that we have about Jesus. To some people, Jesus is like Santa Claus. It's a nice thought to entertain, but it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter if it's real, true, it doesn't matter. What I want you to understand this morning is that it does matter. Jesus, if Jesus Christ isn't real, then our worship is useless. If Jesus Christ isn't real, then I might as well make my own rules for my life because there is no truth. If Jesus Christ is not real, then how on earth did we go from B.C. to A.D.? If Jesus Christ is not real, then how do we come to celebrate the two biggest holidays in all the world centered around his birth and his resurrection? If Jesus is not real, then that means that he did not come back from the dead, he did not conquer death. And friends, that means that you and I don't have hope for eternity. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, verse 14 and 16, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are, you are still in your sins. So it matters. Did Jesus Christ die and did he resurrect from the dead? It matters what we believe about Jesus, and it matters what actually happened. Our eternity is in the balance on that question. And friends, if it's impossible to fully understand who Jesus is, unless you understand a big doctrine of the faith, which is called the Trinity. Now, the Trinity is one of those difficult doctrines to explain. Uh, we in, uh, we, when I was a kid, we tried to explain it, you know, three in one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We tried to explain it by using an egg. It's like, you know, there's like a yolk, a shell, and a white. They're all three, but they're one, really three, but one. And I was like, well, that's, that's pretty good. It kind of falls a little short of that. Um, sometimes in children's church, they'll use the analogy. He's like aqua fresh, three types of toothpaste in one. He's got like the whitener, the, you know, the breath freshener. That's all, all in one, one toothpaste. That falls a little short, too, of talking about spiritual truth, you know, like the Trinity. But I, I had a professor, Dr. Johnny Presley, who said four things about the Trinity. Number one, no human analogy is going to help us understand it. This is one of those truths that's so deep, so difficult to understand that, that any human analogy like an egg or an orange or aquafresh is going to fall short. Number two, we believe it. We believe it because the Bible teaches it over and over and over again. And then number three, 
that this doctrine is so fundamental to our faith, while it is difficult to understand, we believe it because the Bible teaches it, and it's fundamental to our faith. And one of these days when we get to heaven, we'll be able to ask God that question. Could you please explain the Trinity for us? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All throughout the Bible, we see this taught. When God created the heavens and the earth, it said God created the heavens and the earth. And a few verses later, it said that let us make man in our image. Who is us? Who is our? And then he said in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. That was Jesus. In the beginning was the word. Jesus didn't start at Bethlehem. It said the word was with God and the word was God. When Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended on him. God the Father opened the heavens and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. We see all three persons of the Trinity right there present. When Jesus said in the Great Commission, go and baptize people, he said, do it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's a difficult truth to understand, but it's an important one. Jesus took on a lesser role. Philippians 2, verse 6 and 7 says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Now, it's confusing because Jesus is referred to as son. And when we think son, we think identity. We think a different identity. We think like Stephen and Benjamin. We think like father. We think son. We think parent. We think child. But in this case, son means that for a little while, God took on a different role. And he's not inferior to the father. But he took on a role of humanity. For 33 years, he walked among us. We sing this carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It says, mild he lays his glory by. Mild he lays his glory by. He didn't hold on to his glory. He laid it aside to accomplish that purpose for which he was here. And God honored him. And listen to the next few verses in these passages. Verse 8 of Philippians 2 says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So who is Jesus? The Bible clearly teaches it, that he is the third person of the Trinity, the Son of God who became flesh to dwell among us. And to say that God sent his Son is a way of saying that God himself came and lived among us. Isaiah said it this way, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called what? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The angels testified this to the shepherds. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord, the Messiah. John said, Jesus said in John 14, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In John chapter 5, it said, for this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Thomas saw God, Jesus after he resurrected. He fell on his knees and he said, my Lord and my God. You see, all throughout the scripture, we see the deity of Christ. In Romans chapter 9, verse 5, it says, Theirs are the patri patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, and who is God, over all, forever praised. John wrote, These things are written so that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Why is this important? Why am I going over this? 
Because in this age of pluralism and multiculturalism, I can't express to you how important it is that we understand this fundamental doctrine, that Jesus Christ is fully God. Because we live in a society that says it doesn't matter what you believe. It's a syrupy, sweet, all religions are the same, all roads lead to heaven. It really doesn't matter what you believe. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. Jesus said when you prayed, pray our Father who's, who art, art in heaven, hallowed be your name. A lot of people like to end their prayers with some syrupy, sweet, in the name of all that's good and pure. But Jesus said, and the Bible indicates, pray in Jesus' name, which means, Jesus, according to your will. That's what we want to follow. And while those kind of syrupy, sweet prayers may be not offensive, Jesus Christ is the king. And I know there's an attempt in today in all society, our society to blend all religions. But remember the words of Peter in Acts 4, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. There is no, under name, no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Jesus Christ went to the cross claiming to be God, and he rose from the dead to prove that it was true. God gave us the perfect gift because he gave the gift of himself. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is perfect in deity, and he's also perfect in humanity. Look at Galatians 4, verse 4. It said, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, the virgin birth. Jesus Christ, fully God, also became fully man. John chapter 1, verse 14 said, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The message version of that says, God moved into the neighborhood. In the article in Life magazine, they talked about the physical appearance of Jesus, and they had different people draw portraits of Jesus based on what they thought about it. They had different people from different parts around the world, 16 different cultures. And interestingly, each culture drew a picture of Jesus looking like themselves. The Korean artist drew him looking Asian. The, the Mexican artist looking Hispanic. The West African looking West African. And to the Swedish, you have blonde hair and blue eyes. When I was growing up, we had that picture of Jesus that had like perfect hair. It was like the like the like the pert plus hairdo, right? You know what I'm saying? Shiny, looking good. That was it, but he looked a lot like us. The truth is, he was born of a Jewish woman. It was assumed by their friends that he was Joseph's son, but so he probably looked Jewish. That means that he had darker skin. He was a carpenter by trade. He had rough hands, strong arms. But Isaiah 53, verse 2 said he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing is in his appearance that we should desire him. It didn't matter how he looked. What mattered was who he was and what he felt and what he experienced. And the Bible said that he was fully human. He was born of a woman. That means that Jesus experienced the things that every other human experiences. As a baby in Bethlehem, he cried when he was hungry. As a boy in Nazareth, he probably got nervous when the rabbi called on him to, in class to read. As a young man, I think he experienced grief when his father died. Maybe he felt the pressure of taking care of his family, of being the man of the house. He probably had disagreements with his younger brothers. As a man, he knew what it was like to be cheated by other people and even harmed. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. In order to save us, Jesus had to become one of us. And he experienced every human emotion. 
Everything that you go through, he experienced firsthand. He shared in our humanity. He got tired and so he rested. He got hungry and so he ate. He got thirsty and so he drank. He got overtaxed with people and so he got away by himself. His favorite title for himself was not Son of God. It was actually Son of Man. Thirty times in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man. He was a servant of man. He loved people, came to serve them. And Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. God did not come down to earth for a few days and observe us and then retreat back to heaven. He came down to have the full extent of humanity. And the only way to achieve that was to be born of a woman. And he began not as an infant. He began at the very beginning of all of time. And then he came into our world as an infant. He lived as a man for 33 years. He was on the earth. He had peasant parents and had to scrape to get by. He knew what it was to be hurt. He experienced loss and loneliness and rejection and ultimately death. And any time that I need comfort, it's good to remember that Jesus Christ has gone through pain as well. Any time that I have hardship, it's good to remember that Jesus Christ went through hardship as well. And I just wonder how Jesus must have felt in the garden where right before he was to be crucified. Remember his prayer? Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass before me, but not my will, yours be done. He was scared, not of dying, but of being separated from the Father. He had left home 33 years ago, and for the first time he was experiencing complete separation. And I know that on that night that he found himself in a place that maybe he had never been before, but Jesus knows what it's like to experience pain and grief and hardship. I love the old song that, that goes, What a friend we have in Jesus, all our griefs. And sins to bear. Second verse says, have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. He's a perfect gift. God's gift to us was perfect because he was fully God. And he was fully man. And he was also perfect in his integrity. The Bible says in Galatians 4.4, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law. And the phrase under law speaks to the integrity of Jesus. That law was the Old Testament law, summed up in the Ten Commandments. And God said, if you keep every law, you will be saved. If you keep it perfectly, if you can go throughout life and you have never done anything wrong, then that's how you're going to get to heaven and you can do that. But the problem is, nobody's perfect. Romans 3.23, all of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. That's a continual falling, continual falling. We have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. If, if you want me to prove that to you, I just want you to do, if you would be willing, a little demonstration for me. And that is, if you have broken at least one of the Ten Commandments, all right, would you just please stand right now? If you've broken at least one of the Ten Commandments, would you just stand all over the room real quick? <laughs> wow. Wow, a bunch of, you bunch of sinners. Oh, my gosh. Look at you guys. All right, now wait. Stay standing, and uh, and because I, I think you're going to want to hear the rest of this because it applies to you. Would you be seated if you want to go to heaven? Would you be seated if you want to go to heaven? That's that's like a hundred percent. I know I'm standing, but I don't have an option. I don't want to sit in the manger. That be that wouldn't be good. I don't have anywhere else to sit. So, well, what would you do when you look at this? You say, "Wow, all of us have sinned. We just we've just proven that," and there are only Two ways to get to heaven. Option one is you're perfect. 
You've done everything right. You've never done anything wrong. You're perfect. That's one way to get into God's heaven. Heaven is for perfect people. It's a perfect place. But the second option, because all of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory, is that we accept the perfect gift that God gave us. He became a man so that he could live as a man, so that as one of us, he could represent us, so that he could then go to the cross on our behalf. He could die for us. That's the perfection of Jesus. Romans 3.20 says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. No one. Rather, through the law, we became conscious of sin. God did not give us the law to make us better. He knew we didn't have self-control and needed to keep the commandments, so he gave us the law to show us our need for a Savior. Jesus was born under the law, just like you and I are. But the difference is he kept all the commandments. He didn't break the law. He was tempted in every way, yet he was without sin. He had to resist greed and envy and doubt and laziness. And the only difference between him and us is that usually we struggle and fail, and Jesus never did. He overcame every human weakness. When he was hanging on the cross, experiencing the greatest extent of human suffering, they even offered him something to deaden the pain, wine and vinegar, but he refused. He had to endure it on his own, as painful as it was. He was tempted in every way. And with each temptation, our salvation hung by a thread. And remember when the, the enemy, the devil, approached Jesus in the wilderness while he was fasting, and he gave Jesus three big temptations, and Jesus stood against that temptation by giving the, the devil the word of God. But every time that he was tempted, the Bible actually says that the devil left him after those temptations, but it said it left him for a more opportune time. And I just think that means that the devil just hounded Jesus over and over and over again with doubts and temptation. Because if Jesus would fail, he could not be a representative of the human race. He could not stand in our place. His death would not matter. It would matter for him, but would not matter for us. So Jesus had to be a perfect gift. Let me illustrate it this way. Let's say you buy a brand new car for Christmas for yourself, an Infiniti QX80, and you pay cash for it. And the next day you go back to pick up your car and you're excited. You can smell that new car smell. You can't wait to drive it off the lot. But when you get there, you notice that somebody has rear-ended you and the back looks like an accordion. And the salesman says, no big deal, it's just a scratch. It's still drivable. You don't say, all right, fine, just give me the way it is. No, you say, I bought that thing perfect. I want it exactly the way I bought it. And the salesman goes, that's no big deal. We'll bump out the dent. It'll be fine. It'll be good as new. You say, no, I paid cash for that. I want my car to be the way that it's supposed to be. And then finally he says, look at that. We've got this other model over there, and it's only got 3,000 miles. I want you to just take that one. You say, no, I paid for a perfect car. I'm not going to take anything less. And friends, when God made man, he made man perfect, made in the image of God. But Satan came along and marred us with sin. He wrecked us. And the only substitute that will satisfy the justice of God is the perfect model of Jesus Christ. God required a perfect lamb to pay for our sins. Second Corinthians 5.21 said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. God gave us his perfect gift. You know, there are two types of gift giving that happen on Christmas. I've seen this. Because it happened in my dad's family and in my mom's family. On one side of the family, they pass out all the gifts and literally like one, two, three, go. 
And nobody knew what happened because it was just a whirlwind of packages and bows, and nobody knew what each other, what everybody got. And, and just like in five minutes, all the packages were torn through, and Christmas was over. How many of you grew up in a tradition like that? Raise your hand real high and proud. And you feel like, that's the way it's supposed to be. Man, it's a gift. Let's break into them. Well, my mom, that was my dad's family, by the way, and they were a bit, um, you know, they were from Buford, Ohio, right? They were country family, and they enjoyed it that way. My mom came along. She's a little more refined, you know. She said, now, Dom, we're not going to do it that way. We're going to do it. We're going to make Christmas an event. And she said, when we wake up on Christmas morning, everybody's going to make their bed. And we said, why do we got to make our bed? That's because that's the way it's going to be. And then after that, we're going to make sure your room is tidied up, and then we're going to have breakfast together. He said, well, I don't want breakfast. I want to open my gifts. Well, no, you're not going to do that. This is going to be an experience. So we have breakfast together. And then after that, we all go into the other room, and we rearrange the furniture. Somebody's going to be Santa Claus. Who's going to be Santa Claus this year? Who's going to pass out the gifts? And then all the gifts get passed out, and they're all piled high. And now it's time to go. Now, who's going to go first? And somebody's going to go first. All right, you go first. All the little kids had to wait. Now it's not your turn. You got to wait your turn. We're going to go around. And that's all the time. And then like after a couple hours, it's like, all right, guys, it's break time. We're going to go back to it here in a few minutes. We got more to do. All right. Then we go back and we eat some more food. And then we go back and sit down. And this is the way anybody, now anybody's like this, right? It's like an event, man. No, you guys are like, no way, man. Is there a happy medium here? I don't know. But anyway, we, I, I'm not kidding. It's like a, it's like a four or five hour experience. Because for her, it was all about the experience, and everybody wanted to see what everybody got and all this. Well, as impressive as all of that was, I know this, that the most important gifts when I grew up were not the ones that came uh, underneath the tree. They were the ones that happened sometime early Christmas morning. Sometime during the night while we were sleeping, someone tiptoed through the house and they collected the rest of the gifts from the attic or the garage or wherever we wouldn't think to look for them. And they took them out of their boxes and, and put them then placed there under the tree or there in the family room. And I would wake up early Christmas morning, even before my mom and dad, and I'd walk quietly to the living room to see what had transpired at night. And I can tell you that normally what I saw under the tree, I may not have needed and I may not have, it may not have been lasting and it may not have been of much of a benefit to me, but it was close to perfection for me, and I was never disappointed. And isn't that similar to how God gave his gift to us? The best gift didn't come until Christmas morning. There was nothing attractive about the package, an insignificant village, a rustic stable, a confused young couple, a sur and surrounded by a few shepherds and some barn animals. It was a baby lying in a manger underneath the heavens. Sometime during the night, while the earth slept, God tiptoed into the world, unannounced, unnoticed, and undercover in the form of a baby. And he whispered silently the first Merry Christmas. And what laid there in the manger that night underneath the stars in Bethlehem was a gift for the world. It was a gift that I needed. It was a gift that was lasting. It was a gift that would benefit me straight from the heart of God. It was a perfect gift of himself, and it is a gift that does not disappoint. One young girl was asked one time, did you get everything you wanted for Christmas? She said, no, that's okay. It's not my birthday anyway. And I think that's a great perspective. It is Jesus Christ and his day. He is who we celebrate, the perfect gift of God to the world. God, we thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you, God, for the gift of Christ in the world. Thank you, God, that you are perfect in deity. That Jesus is perfect in humanity and perfect in integrity. He, he took our place 
He died for us, a perfect spotless lamb who gave his life for the sins of the world. He paid the death price that we owed on the cross so that we might be able to have hope for heaven. And that when we enter from this life to the next, we'll be declared not guilty. Not guilty. Because Christ and his grace and his sacrifice covers all of our sins. It's a perfect gift from the heart of a loving God to the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever would believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. We celebrate that gift today. We pray it in the name.